Hello, this is Katherine Cunningham. Thank you for joining us for the Natural Intelligence Worldwide Podcast. The world is changing very fast. Businesses are building technologies at lightning speed that enable connection and agency. But it's really important for development teams to engage social scientists and experts in cultural transformation to understand better the entire social picture of a technology before it goes to market. The problem is that institutional understanding and systems thinking approaches to development and use of technology lag well behind the pace, scale, and rate of change happening in technology. Imagine there are 2.6 billion users now on Facebook, and over 50% of the world is connected to the internet. Globalization and connection are good when done right and when technologies provide a positive social, economic, or environmental benefit. Take, for example, Indian rural dwellers using voice recognition to communicate more effectively to others in different languages and dialects. That's a service. And even if we can't remove 100% of the negative and false cyberbot activity on the internet, we can do a lot to remove much of the information. Aaron Kramer, president and CEO of BSR, Business for Social Responsibility, suggests we just need to stay true and keep business accountable to developing a world forward that generally works for everyone and respects nature's boundaries. Let's hear more what Aaron has to say. I'm sitting with Aaron Kramer, who's the president and CEO of BSR. Welcome. Thanks, Catherine. Good to be with you. What are some of the underlying changes that you see taking place in the economy, and how does that relate to the SDGs? Well, I think we all see some pretty deep and wide changes in many aspects of our lives. Certainly technological change is coming fast and furious. Cultural change is happening as well. Economic change, political change. The tectonic plates are shifting, and that has huge implications for how businesses think about achieving the SDGs. There are new ways of doing things, but some new issues that are arising. And so questions such as the intersection of technology, ethics, and human rights are rising on the agenda. Climate, not only in terms of mitigation, but also building climate resilience into corporate strategies. And then the future of work. How do we think about the new world of work so that it works for all of us as individuals, for communities, for businesses and national economies? So the agenda is changing very rapidly, and all of these new issues are ways that we can think about taking steps to achieve the SDGs through private sector action and collaboration. But how do we ensure that we are essentially designing these technologies in a way to serve humanity and help us achieve the sustainable development goals? It's a hugely consequential question, and businesses developing new technologies have to consider a range of things that, quite frankly, have not always been considered over the last 10 or 20 years. And we have new tools that enable human progress, enable connection, enable individuals to have agency, communities to form, that's all great. But we have to think through some of the implications of these technologies. There are human rights principles that businesses apply through the UN Guiding Principles on Human Rights and other means. That's a framework through which companies that are developing new technologies can think about the implications. Companies should think about the unintended consequences of technologies. One of the best ways to do that is not to rely solely on the product development teams, but also people who come from different parts of society, human rights organizations, community organizations, journalists, all the people who may have different perspectives so that a total social picture of the uses of technology are thought through before they go to market, not afterwards when we may see some of those 
unintended consequences that create a social disquiet and also create pushback on the companies that are bringing these new tools, these new products, these new services to the marketplace. There's been a great deal of discussion, for example, on how technology is or isn't enabling democracy and is or isn't enabling free and fair elections in North America and in Europe. And there is now a lot of dialogue amongst the companies. You would imagine Facebook, Google, Twitter, talking with civil society organizations, talk with regulators, and to the World Economic Forum's credit, they've created various centers for the fourth industrial revolution, which are places where policymakers, civil society groups, academic experts come together with business to think about public policy frameworks that can enable us to use these technologies and take advantage of all that they bring, but also within a framework that ensures social acceptance and avoids some of the negative implications that they can bring. And this fourth industrial revolution, these centers, I think it was a concept just a few years ago, it became a reality in San Francisco, and now we're already scaling to centers around the world. So the ability of this particular forum to, across industries, address these issues seems seminal. How can the World Economic Forum's community sort of guide these principles towards technologies and support of life and, of course, in service to humanity. So if you take a step back, we've seen new technologies before. This is not the first time that radically significant technologies have come to the marketplace. And in fact, just about 100 years ago, as the industrial economy was reaching full flower, there were a lot of big questions about the implications of mass manufacturing, which was the innovation in play 100 years ago. What's different today is that we have a more connected global community, set of communities. So it's quite possible for companies to tap into young consumers in China or in Thailand and understand how they'll use technologies, have academic experts from literally every corner of the world come together, as they do here in Davos, to talk with businesses about how to make best use of these new models. And so that's one of the things that gives me hope. It's one of the reasons why the forum is a good connection point. Our work at BSR is similar. We, we gather uh, businesses and stakeholders and regulators together to talk about how to make best use of these new models. And so there's a lot of debate over whether globalism is a good idea. I believe it is, if done right. And one of the reasons why it is, is that we can tap into these global communities that ensure that all important perspectives are brought to bear as the economy undergoes such fundamental change. Both voice recognition and facial recognition illustrate both the promise and the dilemmas that come from new technology. So voice recognition has proved really important in enabling Indian rural dwellers, hundreds of millions, to get onto the internet without having to worry about literacy because not all rural dwellers have uh, levels of literacy that allow them to use the typing and writing uh, internet, um, and also language. And India is a country with many, many languages and dialects. So voice recognition is crucial in that way. But voice recognition also brings some challenges. There have been already some cases where uh, a, you know, one, a, a device like Alexa and so on is not only enabling us to speak and get information, but it also records information. And so um, we've already seen in, in criminal trials uh, law enforcement officials trying to get access to what Alexa knows. And uh, the question of what a company does when that kind of technology is out there, how do you protect against illegal uh, law enforcement activities? These are real dilemmas that businesses are wrestling with. On facial recognition, 
it's going to make life easier in a lot of ways, and, and it can provide additional security. The problem is we know already that facial recognition has a lot of bias built into it, and there been lots of examples where, in the United States context, uh, women and people of color are, are not, they, their faces are not recognized as accurately as for white males. That's a big problem, and it reinforces bias. So, again, with all these technologies, they bring amazing things, but there are some significant social issues uh, that need to be worked out so that they operate fairly. I think it's important to understand that these technologies have just recently come into the social sphere. We're discussing the opportunities as well as the, the downsides of uh, facial recognition, speech recognition. Do the benefits to society outweigh the, the costs in a sense? I mean, if you look at Adhar, for example, in India, the ability to bring you know, every citizen online, so they have their own bank account, they can access you know, their health information, be more preventative on health. And, Etc. Do you see, but yet it was a system that was hacked. <laughs> so do you see that society has a lot to gain from these technologies, more so than the downside? And, and how do we sort of communicate that, that social benefit? Well, it's hard to do a, sort of a universal cost-benefit analysis. The thing that's different, though, and I think is really important, is the rate at which new technologies get to scale is faster than ever before. Facebook has 2.6 billion users. It's gotten there really, really fast. The iPhone was only invented or brought to market in 2007, and it's everywhere. And so the problem is we start using these technologies in such immense numbers that the institutional understandings that are needed to make sure that we get the benefits and manage the risks that's happening so fast, it can be hard for us, first of all, to understand what the range of issues might be, and then secondly, come to solutions. So the technology just goes so fast, institutional arrangements don't move at that speed. And I think that's some of the disconnect that we're experiencing right now. Right. Well, you bring up Facebook. Interesting. Sheryl Sandberg was just speaking earlier about the problems they've had with cyber attacks and cyber bots and said, you know, recall we were just a startup a few years ago. And so this is an evolution of our company. We're very different Facebook now than we were beginning. Now we're working with governments to understand the cyber security protocols that we need to put in place and how we can protect the data of our members. Given that we know that we need a new narrative going forward on the nature agenda, on our sustainability agenda, and we know that we need society to come along with us on this journey, these social media tools are critical to the success of distributing information, stimulating dialogue, but yet we have to consider also that there's, there are these cyberbots out there that are wanting to disrupt the conversation. How do we, like you said, reduce or mitigate the risk of the downside of social media technologies and yet allow it to help us advance our messaging? Well, in terms of the new communications tools, the good news is that there are principles that journalists have used for decades um, that are applicable in the new technologies. And I think that's, it's been good to see that some of the platform companies have been acknowledging that in a certain way, it's a different way, but in a certain way, they are publishers. It's different than what the New York Times is and so on. But they are, to a certain degree, publishers and are accessing some of those journalistic principles, are consulting with human rights organizations at, to try to develop human methods, not just machine learning, but also you know, human skills, human tools uh, to help 
moderate a set of standards that can ensure that the information that's on social media platforms is reliable. It will never be 100% reliable. There's just too much information out there. But in a dialogue that Microsoft put together with the UN High Commissioner on Human Rights uh, just this week, the discussion was all about saying, let's make a start. If we can take out the obviously manipulated information. You can get a long ways down the path and begin to establish norms. There are also other tools that are being used to be able to designate for users whether something comes from a trusted source or not. So getting to 100% accurate information on the internet is impossible. But getting significantly further down that path than we are today is absolutely doable. And it's it. Although recognition of the need to do that and the ways to do that is later than I would have liked, it is happening, and we need to push that further, faster. Is there anything that you would like to share with our audience as a sort of final note? Well, I think there is a lot of movement happening. The world is changing very rapidly. We are not yet on track for the Sustainable Development Goals, but a lot of progress is being made. And so we need to stay true to the objectives in the SDGs and also tie it back to how people's lives are actually lived every day because that's how you build a sense that this is not just something hatched in meeting rooms in the beautiful Swiss Alps, but actually something that is designed to create a global economy that genuinely works for everybody and genuinely respects the natural boundaries of the planet. We're not there yet. That story can be achieved and that story can be told. And if you do that, then you get a virtuous circle of more support, more innovation, more investment, and more progress. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Wonderful to have you. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you for listening to our Natural Intelligence Worldwide podcast, where we're committed to spotlighting intuitive vision, nature-inspired knowledge, and native wisdom in our world. You can find us at naturalintelligence.com forward slash worldwide. There, we have a growing portfolio of podcasts with world leaders on nature, sustainability, climate, and tech for good. Thank you for awakening natural intelligence in the world. Have a beautiful day.